0: It was a pretty unimpressive venue. It was not this not yesterday, but the Saturday before this, my son Skylar just kind of needed a break and my wife kind of needed a break. And so we decided to go and find something to do in Pigeon Forge. And we went to a I think the name of the Steve Best and I'm sure that Best is kind of a misnomer there but in a in a strip center with a with with a gun and ammo place next door, there's a little theater that does three different shows. We happened to be lucky enough to see the Elvis impersonator and it was quite a show. Now, it's hard to talk about what the highlight was, but as I think back, the highlight was pretty amazing. It wasn't when the Elvis impersonator came down and Skyler grabbed his hand and said, Elvis, I love you and (laughs) And he didn't know what to do with a, the with, with a audience participant grabbing his hand. Uh, but about halfway through, the Kenny Rogers impersonator, who was just as unimpressive as the other ones, said, I'm going to sing a slow song, and if any of you want to get up and dance, you're welcome to do so. And the, 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 the theater held maybe 75 people, and there was a little spot on this side, and a little spot on this side. And... They said, "If anybody wants to get up and dance, you're welcome to to slow dance to this song." And so uh, they, he started singing an old, old song. And on the front row was an old couple. He was probably eighty-five. Um, she was close, and and they got up and they had trouble standing up. And then he helped her up, put his hand out like. We're going to dance. And, and then they hobbled over to the little stage on the side, the little place, and it had a real cheap disco ball up there. And, and they hugged each other almost in a way that they were leaning against each other more than dancing. And he started singing an old love song. And I was lucky enough to be sitting right in front of them with Skyler, and they, they more just rocked to the music than they did really dance. But the look in his eye, and he was singing to her. He was singing this old song. And, and, and the look in her eye as, she, as they stood there together and rocked and remembered and engaged each other in a way that was almost too intimate for me to watch. I thought what a contrast that is to what we sell for marriage today. What our culture says, what a marriage ought to look like and marriages don't last and and they're supposed to, and and it's supposed to be about convenience and happiness instead of about intimacy and richness. I just thought of how different what I saw that day at a, odd little show in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee was so beautifully different than what we're selling today as marriage. Now, what's that got to do with our text today? And we've been studying Colossians. Well, as you know, the beginning of the book of Colossians has been big picture. Who is Jesus? The supremacy of Christ. Uh, and, and Christ is in you. And, and, and Paul is enamored by this idea that Christ is in us and that, that the power to live the Christian life doesn't come from us, but Christ in us and the supremacy of Christ. It just paints a huge big picture. But if you get the big picture correct, the small picture of behavior will follow. And Paul, after he tells us and reminds us who's the one doing the changing in us and who's the one that has saved us and who is Christ, supreme over all. He then says, and now let me tell you how you should live. What's really interesting is he is about to say something in Roman culture that would have been so counter-cultural and scandalous. You see, in Roman culture, where authority, and as this is true in many many dictatorships, where authority is never questioned, and power is might, and power wins everything, in Roman culture, children and wives were treated as property, and were treated with very little dignity. Were treated... Um, well, no one would have questioned the brutality of a of a husband to a wife, and so Paul is about to present a biblical principle that is radically different than what the Roman culture had to say about life and marriage and relationships. You see, in the Christian understanding, authority is always paired with responsibility. You know, there was one philosopher who said, the problem with America today is they have a statue of liberty on one coast. They need to put a statue of responsibility on the other because we've done so well with liberty and our rights, but we haven't done that particularly well with responsibility. and, And in God's economy, authority is always measured with responsibility. And so as I watched that couple literally dance, an intimate, engaging dance of relationship. I thought how different that is from our culture. And I think as I look at this text, how different Paul is inviting husbands and wives, fathers and mothers and children to live very, very differently than the way the culture invited them to live. And I would suggest that this text is just as relevant for us today. Well, before we talk about God, and before we talk about his word, why don't we talk to him? Let's pray together. Father, um, you know every couple here. You know everyone here. You know the couples that are struggling and just barely hanging on. You know the people that have fight on the way here. You know the people that, you know the people that are really wrestling with with even just relationship with you. Father, you know the doubters, you know the believers, you know every person in this room. So would you meet us here this day in a way that is unmistakably divine? Would you change us, transform us by your word, and by our worship? Father, For the people in this room that are a little too comfortable, would you use these words to disrupt them? And for the people that are disrupted, would you use these words to comfort them? And for all of us, would you use them to equip us for your great works and your great purposes? Pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. As you know, Joel, two weeks ago, started this passage and that are almost always paired together so I'm going to read both verses together though we're going to spend and focus most of our time on the second part the first part speaks to wives and it says one thing they should, one thing they should do the second things the second part of it speaks to husbands and it gives two things for husbands to do so in the book of colossians third chapter Starting in verse 18, it says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as it's fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let me just say... that God has an interesting way of just a philosophical thing about God and authority. One of the ways God gives us common grace, because without common grace, meaning without some of God's limitations placed on us, we would be able to destroy ourselves with our selfishness. And every once in a while that thin veneer of civility is pulled up and you'll see chaos and anarchy and, 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 and just horrific events that take place. And so, in God's common grace, he, he He tries to set up a societal structure that that at least allows sinful people to be civil to one another. And one of the ways He does that is by making sure we understand authority. Um, that that we have the government has some authority over us. Your boss has some authority over you. Parents have authority over their children. Pastors have authority over the people that are in their flock. Elders have authority over the people that they're shepherding. Always be aware that authority is always in God's economy paired with responsibility. And be aware, and this is very important, and I want you to hear this from the pulpit. These verses should never be used to justify abuse of any kind. Abuse, there's a working definition of abuse. Abuse is an action that is intentionally harms another person, especially a person who has less power. It's cruel and violent behavior toward another. Now we overuse the word abuse. It is not abuse when Domino's delivers its pizza late to me. It's just inconvenient. <laughs> And we're all selfish and we all hurt each other at times with our selfishness. But abuse is never condoned by scripture. There's different types of abuse. There's physical abuse. Physical abuse would be physically hitting, slapping, pushing, restraining, with a desire to control and harm, locking someone in a closet, there is, please hear this. There is no place in Christian marriage for physical abuse ever, ever. It's not justifiable biblically. It is not okay, it is sin, it is wrong. Physical abuse is wrong in Christian marriage and hear that loudly. Don't justify harming, manipulating, slapping, hurting another person for, and and, and somehow wipe it over with Jesus juice and say, it's okay because um, I'm the authority. There are places to question authority. When Hitler said to kill the Jews, the right Christian response to that, according to Bonhoeffer and according to scripture, would be to reject that. So hear me very clearly, this important passage about how a marriage is supposed to be a a dance of authority and responsibility does not justify abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, forcing, coercing, manipulating a person into a sexual activity against their will, verbal abuse, regular and consistent belittling, name calling, labeling or ridiculing another person, Emotional abuse, manipulation, threats of humiliation in front of others. Financial abuse, limiting access to needed funds to take, care of, to take care of responsibilities. All of those are not appropriate in a Christian marriage. Now, some of you might be going, he's, a, he's getting a little um, pushy here. What I have just said to you is nothing compared to what Paul says. Paul, after he says that women should submit to the authority of their husbands as unto the Lord, he then says, in in Ephesians, he says that men are supposed to love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for him. How did what did Christ do to the church? He sacrificed his very life for the church. I mean, that's, that's a standard much higher than don't hit. So what Paul is saying to to men here is incredibly uncomfortable because it goes counter-cultural to the Roman culture and it goes far beyond our culture. And it says husbands are to love their wives and not be harsh with them. Two commands, love their wives. The word for love there, in Greek you can use Four different words for love. What Paul uses, when he's telling these people that are used to a very, uh, kind of an abusive structure, he says, husbands are to agape their wives. Now, agape is this kind of love that you and I don't understand. Agape is an unconditional, sacrificial radically committed love. It's the kind of love that, that God has for us. Usually when we talk about love, and, and a lot of the research on marriage and stuff, they talk about social reciprocity and basically love is sort of a deal. I'll do my part if you do your part. We're gonna kinda have a deal here. And, and, then, and they do marriage research based on kind of a, kind of a social const, construct that, has people kind of negotiating who's, and, and, and basing it all on happiness. And God is saying something much, much, much more powerful, much more important than that. And He's saying, Husbands are to agape, treasure, sacrifice for. How often I, how often, Mona, as say, are you listening to me? How often has Mona been on the other side of my disinterest? How often has Mona been on the other side of my being someplace else when I'm there? And God says, husbands, love your wives. And then, as if that's not enough, if that's a much greater standard than I've ever lived up to. He then says, oh, and by the way, don't be harsh with them. Some of your translations will say, don't treat them with bitterness or with frustration. Some of your translations might even say patient with them. Um, Skyler in here. So last night, we gave Schuyler the first shower he's had since May. So those of you don't know me would say they're, they're not very good parents. Um, we, only take sh- we only take baths once every two months in our home. Um, Skyler's broken leg, and so we got him in the shower. And I just want you to know, I wasn't patient with him or Mona. It was a goat rodeo, and it was just, and, and I was just angry and frustrated. And, and then I'm going to come and preach the next day about Don't be harsh. I thought, could we get someone else to preach this? Because I'm yelling at my wife to get out of the bathroom. And she was just trying to keep him from falling down. If he falls down, he falls down. Then Skyler starts yelling, Mom, come back in here. Dad's yelling. I'm supposed to love my wife. An agape type, sacrificial, I mean, what does Paul say in Ephesians? I'm going to love my wife like Christ loves the church? You know, a lot of people will say to me, you know, I want a biblical marriage. Have you read the Bible? Hey, I'll tell you about a great biblical marriage. How about Gomer and, and, and Hosea? You know that story in the Old Testament? Hosea. His wife's unfaithful and he goes after her twice, buys her back from slavery. Is that committed to her? And you say, yeah, but that's really symbolic of Christ and his church. Exactly. And that's the standard that God invites us to. We'll all fail it. And I'm not, this is not a sermon that you're supposed to poke at somebody. Somebody said, Hey, it was like a, a, my, old, my old church where the music was really rocking and they made me feel guilty at the end. Well, i say, that's, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to preach faithfully the word of God. And the, and the word of God would say that if I want the kind of marriage that after 60 years, we're leaning against one another and whispering in each other's ears and holding each other up as we sway Music that we heard when we were kids. But I need to understand the way God designed it. The way God designed it was that my wife would treat me with respect. Submit to the authority I have. See, the way God has set it up is it's 5149. There has to be a deal breaker. I mean, if you've ever been in a business where it's 50-50... Uh, it's, it's not a good business deal. I mean, every time you, 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 somebody buys a company or they want to they know who has that, that decision-making point, who's got the 51 versus the 49, because there's times when there's just hard, to, you, there, there's times when good compromise, sacrifice. And so God in his wisdom set it up. So in, in a marriage, I'm gonna give that authority, the final decision to the husband. However, his job as a leader is to be sacrificial and a servant. And and so you have authority and responsibility. It's amazing. We all have confirmation bias. We just hear what we want to hear. And so my fear is that all the wives in this room will hear and and kind of nudge their husbands, and all the husbands in the room will kind of nudge their wives instead of hearing the beautiful design God's inviting you to live in. Authority and responsibility. God gives pastors authority and teachers authority, but what does he say? They'll be judged more harshly. He, He says elders have authority But then he gives a list of the character traits that are needed to be an elder because it matters who is doing the shepherding. He tells people that you're supposed to be under the authority of your pastor and yet almost all of Paul's letters warn against false teaching. Do you not see the balance that God has woven into his Holy Scripture? authority, responsibility. So as you think about these things, a couple of a couple of scandalous things that are true that are countercultural about marriage. And Christian marriage, Husbands and wives, men and women have different roles and different responsibilities and different attributes. What happens in the world? The world says as soon as something's different, which one's better? That's not God's perspective. God's perspective in Genesis is both man and woman reflect the image of God. That there's dignity in femininity and there's dignity in masculinity. And therefore they should be treated as such. Biblical femininity says something about the nature of God that biblical masculinity doesn't. Biblical masculinity says something about the nature of God, femininity doesn't. both of them have dignity in their design. On the canvas of Eden, where God was creating the world to reflect His glory and purposes when he got to the height of his creation, humans, he said, "Man and woman reflect my image. there's dignity, and therefore there's so often we spend so much time talking about what men can do and what women can't do or what women can do and that men can't do. And, and I think God would say, gosh, before you even have that conversation, understand the dignity of my design. That there are purposes in, in femininity that reflect my glory and there's things in masculinity that reflect my glory. There is dignity in both. One of the dangers of our society today that's become gender neutral, they believe that gender is a social construct. Everybody under the age of 35 has been taught that in school for years. Gender is a social construct. That is not true. Gender is a theological construct. Maleness and femaleness precedes sexuality or, or, or physicality. And all you have to do is, in most languages, there's male and female nouns and verbs because there's something wired in us about Gender, because there's dignity in both that reflect the nature of God. Every culture has archetypes that have to do with masculinity and femininity. We are going against the grain of thousands of years of understanding when we pretend there's no differences or that it's just a social construct created just by our society alone. It preceded society. So, husbands. I just want you to know that most of us as men struggle with feeling inadequate. And so what you find is men struggle tend to struggle with anger, tend to struggle with feeling powerless and being deeply terrified and afraid. My inadequacy is not my wife's problem or my children's problem, then they shouldn't have to pay for that. My anger, and by the way, anger is a secondary emotion. The primary emotion is not, dis, is not anger, it's disappointment. So if somebody pulls in front of me, before I yell and call them names, for a moment, the reason I'm, the, my initial response is I'm disappointed. And because, hear me, because in Genesis, the curse is gender specific, And it says that men made to be gardeners will be frustrated with the thorns and thistles. That there is a way in which masculinity on this side of heaven and this side of Eden feels frustrated at times. But that disappointment that often hides itself as anger is my responsibility to deal with God, not my family's responsibility to take. So if you struggle with anger, You need to face your disappointment, man. You've struggled with feeling inadequate like I do. You need to face that as well. You struggle with feeling powerless. You know, will anything in my life really have mattered? I've got a grandson now. Really, I have two. Zay may remember my middle name because he's older. I'll be long gone by the time Cedar's 30. He probably won't even remember my middle name. What does that, what does that make me think? The powerlessness, the futility of it all. But that's not my wife's problem. And that's not my kid's problem. And they shouldn't have to pay for my feelings of inadequacy that I'm supposed to be taking to God instead. So so men in this room, I want to just suggest to you, if you struggle with anger like I do, that's something you need to deal with God about. If you deal with, if you struggle with feeling powerless, will my life matter? That's not, that's something I've got to deal with God about. If you feel afraid. I'm sometimes afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to be found out as a fraud. I'm afraid I'm an imposter. I'm afraid that I'll spend my life on stuff that doesn't matter. I'm afraid of a lot of things. But that's not my kid's fault. That's not my wife's responsibility. If I want to embrace the authority God gives me in my family to lead if I wanna embrace the the invitation to love my family like Christ loves the church, then I've gotta be man enough to face my demons honestly before him. I've gotta be honest enough to face my my fears and my anger and my, my powerlessness. So men, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. And wives, you need to understand that at the core of the man that you love is a man who wants to be a man that is a good man. God put it in him to be a leader. God put it in him to be, to be strong. God put it in him to not be passive. But sometimes, sometimes what we do is we retreat back to passivity, fear. Be patient with us, but don't let us off the hook. Because God doesn't let us off the hook. If I want to embrace the authority that God's given me in my home, I must also embrace the requirement to love and to sacrifice for the sake of my family and my wife. Wives, just be aware this whole idea of submit and respect, God's just giving you advice on how He made men. I mean, when I when I get a, if I ever got a new car, it would have an owner's manual that would say put oil in it, and that's not trying to shame me to be a better mechanic. It's just telling me we know how He made the engine and it runs on oil. And if you are if you're married to a man, which I would hope you are if you were a woman. The man that you're married to, his engine runs on respect. I think a, a man can live in a marriage without love, but not without respect. A woman can live in a marriage probably without respect but not without love. is the way God designed femininity and masculinity. and so women understand understand that you're that your husband has futility and frustration at times. Be gracious. But understand that God is wanting to develop a marriage that reflects him in this church and his church ends together in a party. God wants to reflect in your marriage a, a couple that looks like that as they, they go through their lives together. So what's the practical implications of our time to get together? You know, the research on marriage basically says that it's kind of funny when they do research and it it kind of, and it backs up what the Bible said and you go, I'm not sure we needed to spend a million dollars to find that out. We could have just read the Bible. Responsiveness is one of the major traits in a good marriage. That sounds a little bit like don't be harsh. You know, when they talk about marriages, they do research on marriages that last 50 years and they, they talk about what sort of traits. There's mutual respect. There's commitment to the marriage. There's faithfulness. That's what, those are the things that our culture is missing. And, and it was missing back then and it's missing Today and God wants you to live a countercultural marriage where there's understanding of authority and responsibility that love is sacrificial and kind and respect is genuine and real so practically husbands Get help with your anger. Remember, anger is just disappointment. Let's become aggressive. Be aware of the traits of abusers. They abusers tend to be jealous people that try to control too much. Are you a jealous, controlling person? Those would be some things you wanna get some help with. Very jealous and very controlling and, and people with significant inadequacy tend to be the people that abuse. Wives, remember your men's engines run on respect. Be respectful toward your husband. If you're in a truly abusive relationship, I want you to get help. I want you to see somebody, talk to some people. And I don't mean that that you had a fight once. I mean, if you're in an abusive relationship, um, God would want you to be not live in fear and you feel safe in your home. Good marriages that last a long time are committed to the marriage. And so what could you do practically? Well, on November 18th and 19th, we're gonna have a marriage retreat here at the church. I realize some of you said, oh, that's the Georgia game. We'll, we'll be out of here before the Georgia game. For 30 bucks, you can come and Seth and I are going to kind of talk about marriage. Try to be honest with you, not, not pretend. Talk about some practical ways that we can live more fully, this radical countercultural way to do marriage. It's $30. If you need childcare, it's 40 That's a way to make a commitment to do something to help your marriage. I mean, after all, if it's really this important, shouldn't we do something intentional to get our marriage better? If you're not married and you're dating, I wanna to, want to be practical to you as well. And so be aware of how the people you date deal with authority and how they deal with kindness and love. A good way to notice is when you go out to a restaurant, if I can just speak to the ladies, when you go out to the restaurant with a guy you're dating, and he's treating you real nice, but he treats the waiter really poorly, run. Because eventually you're the waiter. We all are in, a, in marriages and relationships. And so if somebody treats someone with no power poorly, pay for your own meal and get out of there. Don't think, I can help him. No, he needs to help himself. Um, look at the way people deal with authority, Look at the way people deal with responsibility. Last of all, I just want to encourage you. Most of us, conflict's inevitable in every marriage. Most of the things we fight about are not right or wrong issues. An extrovert's fighting about the fact that they want to go someplace, and an introvert wants to fight about the fact they want to stay home. That's not a right or wrong issue. Someone who's tired wants to turn the TV off. Someone who's not tired wants to leave the TV on. That's not a right or wrong issue. Somebody likes Mexican food with a lot of spice and somebody else can't stand spice. Well, that may be a right or wrong issue. (laughs) I said that for Mona because she hates spicy stuff and I love spicy stuff. That's not a right or wrong issue. Most of our disagreements are over preferences and personality and temperament. The need to be right in those situations has ruined many a relationship. When it comes to a right or wrong, that really matters. By the way, if you're dating male or if you're dating, if you're a guy dating a woman or a woman dating a man, if they can't say they're sorry, and they can't admit mistakes or failures, run. Because we all make mistakes. And we all fail. We're all kind of scared. And we're all stumbling toward glory with this beautiful picture of what a marriage is supposed to be like. So, church, hear the radical words of Paul echoing into a Roman culture that believes in such a lesser view of relationships and people, and hear Paul say this, husbands, agape your wife, and don't treat her harshly.